0: Good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Good. So I've got college kids. How are you thinking? Not you. You look entirely too young to have kids in college. Uh, it's, it's too late now. Um, so I don't see them as much as I as I used to. But um, my son and I have sort of d- uh, developed a habit that when we are in town together. And we got a uh, we got a few days that uh, we'll go play trivia somewhere. And um, you know we usually finish you know in the in the top three uh, mostly because of him. I mean you know I'm really dependent on you know questions that happened in the '80s. I mean that if, if it's not that I'm I'm pretty useless. So uh, so we'll go we'll go play trivia somewhere. And it's like you know there's we'll be it'd be two of us and then a couple of teams that have like 35 people you know and everyone is like experts on everything, and they have their niche, and, yeah, you know, it's fun, but we, uh, but all the times that we've gone to play trivia, we're like, we never walk out of trivia and go, that was really useful information, <laughs> right? I mean, like, we, we never, we, like, we, we never walk out of trivia and go, hey, you remember that, you remember that question, uh, you remember that question about uh putting, putting the, the the top alternative rock hits from 1994 in sequential order, that is gonna revolutionize my meetings this week. Like, I've got a whole new approach. Um, you know, it's just, it's just facts for facts' sake. You know, you, there's, there's nothing really beneficial or to be done with it. And, um, we, and th- this summer, we've been, we've been reading through Proverbs together. And if you've been reading through the reading plan with us, that's awesome. This week, we finished 16 through 20. Uh, so I'll be preaching from Proverbs 16 uh, today, but uh, you know one of the things I think that you have to guard against when you're doing uh, when you're doing reading plans is sort of getting in the get, getting in the the mindset or the habit of I've got to get through my reading today and okay I read that I read that I read that and now off to my day without really paying attention and at that point what you've really done is you've 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 started collecting facts for the sake of facts, or you you started collecting verses for the sake of verses without really giving thought to how those verses could actually change and revolutionize your week or change or revolutionize your meetings or your gatherings or how how you act with your family, how you act with your neighbors, how you act with... uh, you know, just people that you're around on a daily basis, and those are very important. And, we, you know, as we've been reading through Proverbs, we've been picking out some of those topics, but I I, I want to suggest to you and, uh, uh, and point out to you this morning that the wisdom in the Scriptures has a grander purpose, has a grander meaning than just what words should I use here, how should I... How should I hold my tongue? How should I behave as a neighbor? How should I behave as a husband, as a father? How should I, be, you know, and all of those things are important. But there is a greater truth to the wisdom of Proverbs um, that I, I don't think we want to overlook. So uh, we'll be in Proverbs uh, chapter 16, verses 1 through 9 today, and we'll be talking about the purpose of Wisdom. So, wisdom is, um, wisdom is not an end in itself. Wisdom is a means to an end, and it's not means to any particular end, right? Uh, you don't get to decide what, uh, how, you, uh, how you use the Proverbs uh, or the wisdom from the Scriptures, because uh, if you did, most of the time that we chose to use the wisdom from Proverbs would it be to correct everybody else's behavior. Right? No. Uh, you shouldn't have said it that way. You should have said it this way. You shouldn't drive that way because it's inconsiderate to everybody else around you. Uh, you, you shouldn't do these, you know. And, and so we just sort of become the executors of Proverbs as we apply it to other people. That's not the end. Wisdom is a means to a particular end. And while there is certain immediate application for the Proverbs, of the wisdom in Proverbs, you know, d- daily wisdom and, ag- and agility to understand how we should behave in our lives. Um, there, there's a bigger thing, there's a grander purpose. And so I'm gonna, uh, I want to point out today what I believe uh, are three main uh, things that wisdom is meant to ultimately lead us to. Three things that I think biblical wisdom is meant to ultimately lead us to. Um, and uh, just so they don't kick me out of pastor school, I've tucked in another little multi-point list in there too because if you don't do that, you don't, you don't do well in your annual evaluation at the pastor school. So, uh, so we've got some lists, and, and, and you'll be great. Okay, so here we go. Wisdom, first of all, is meant to lead us to humility and dependence. Wisdom is meant to lead us to humility and dependence. We'll be looking at verses one through four here. So uh, the plans of the heart belong to man. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. So wisdom is meant to lead us. To humility and dependence in verse one, we get this word plans: the plans of the heart belong to man, and plans here is really carrying the idea of sort of uh, thoughts or targeted thoughts or put together thoughts. What are you meditating on in your mind? And the idea here is that ma- what man conjures up, what we conjure up in our head in terms of what we want to do, how we want things to be put together, and how we want things to go, even in our best efforts. Uh, all of our plans, everything that we can come up with, plays out against the backdrop of God's sovereignty. All of our plans play out against the backdrop of God's sovereignty. Uh, this, this does, wow. This is a this is a can of worms. All right, here we go. All right, so this does not mean that God's sovereignty limits your free will. Good so far? It also doesn't mean that your free will hampers the sovereignty of God. Well, how does that work out? I don't know. <laughs> um, if you're a reader, let me give you a book. Um, I mean, I'm not going to give it to you. You've got to go buy it, but I'll give you the title. Um, they don't charge you for that. So uh, let me give you this book if you like to read uh, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, J.I. Packer. Chapter two in that book is worth, is worth the book itself. Actually, I was, I was telling somebody after the first, I don't know that I ever finished that book. I mean, I, I just, I get to two, man, I'm like, oh my gosh, that is, that is brilliant. Um, and so when he's talking about free will and sovereignty, what he says is, you know, we kind of... We don't know how to explain how those, those two, gold, you know, exist together, and so we kind of try uh, and cover over it by saying that uh, free will and uh, human will and God's sovereignty are a paradox, or uh, paradox, uh, which would be, a paradox would be two things that seem to be opposite, but in actuality uh, uh, go together well, and what Packer says is that's not true, uh, uh, what, what it actually is, is they are an antinomy because they are actually opposite. Human free will and God's sovereignty are actually opposite. They, they are not the same thing. Okay, well, how does that go together? I don't know. But here, here's what Piper says because he's really smart. Not Piper, Packer. Here's what Packer says because he's really smart. Uh, he says um, they are two opposite things that God in his magnitude and only God in his magnitude is capable of holding intention. Let me give you an idea of what that looks like. And it's going to be flawed because I'm flawed and we all are. So we're just going to do the best we can, but think about if if you have if you have two small kids or multiple small kids and you have to take your kids to no, you get to take your kids to a uh, a, a a a birthday party. Uh, what kind of birthday party we would do? We're we're gonna take our kids to a um, We're gonna take our kids to a water park birthday party. And there's sugar. You know, and like everything. There's, there's sugar in the cake, there's sugar in the ice cream. They've like lined the water slides with sugar. You can just slide down, ah, you know, and you're, you're just getting sugar everywhere you go. And then it comes time for the party to end, and you're going to take them home. You think they want to leave? They never want to leave. But you, you know, the party's over, you got to go, and so you're trying to. You're trying to, you know, okay, come and get, you know, and you finally get them right here, and you just grab, and you get both of them, and then what do they do? (laughs) You know, and they're just running opposite directions, right? But you can hold them. This is why I chose small children, not big children, because that changes the story. So you got small children. So you can hold them because you're bigger than they are and you're more powerful than they are. Same sort of idea here. God can hold your free will, which, by the way, was his idea. He's not threatened by your free will. He's not scared of your free will. It was his idea to give it to you. You are absolutely and completely free to make the decisions that you want to make. But his sovereignty wins every time and he is big enough to hold those things together. Now you need to get that book and read chapter two because he does that better than I just did. That's the best I'm gonna do. All right, so when we're looking at at verse one, we have this idea that the plans of the heart belong to man but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Well, if you wanna know about what, what this means about the answer of the tongue, think about in the scriptures where we see God speak. I would suggest to you Genesis chapter one. It's the clearest example. But think about what happens when God speaks. What happens when God speaks? It comes to pass, whatever it is. Light, light. Giraffe, giraffe. Man, man. When God speaks, what he speaks comes to pass, and it comes to pass exactly the way he wants it to happen. The plan of the heart belongs to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So we get to verse 2. It says, all the ways of, of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. It, this may, I mean, I know all the Scripture is true, but holy cow, is that true? You and yourself, when you present it to a court of one, which is also you, have never had a bad idea in your entire life. I mean, when you come up with stuff in your head and you present it to yourself on whether or not it's wise or not, you're a genius. It's like, man, I am unstoppable. I mean, I can fix all sorts of stuff. If people would just ask, I could tell them everything that's wrong and how to fix it. I've never had a bad idea. Well, then you mess around and you say it out loud to somebody and you come to realize that that's really not not true at all. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. And what may seem good to us or pure in our own eyes, the Lord sees and understands fully. We we make decisions based on lots of different things. We make decisions based on pride. We make uh, uh, decisions based on self-advancement. We make... Uh, decisions based on our own agendas or what we want, what we want to see uh, come to pass with little consideration to how it affects other people. Just because that, that, that typically is the lens that we look at, th- at stuff through. What do I want to have happen? How does it affect me? Does it make me happy? And if it does, it's a good idea. But it says the Lord judges the spirit. The Lord weighs the spirit. He he actually looks into us, and he's the voice that comes in there and says, you need to rethink that. Hold on there just a minute. Wisdom is meant to lead us to humility and dependence when we come to the realization that not all of our ideas are good. Not all of our ways are good. Not all of our intentions are good. And if we don't have we don't have the scriptures through the work of the Holy Spirit. If we don't have that speaking into our lives, we're going to be in a tailspin of just following ourselves round and around in a circle, making the same mistakes over and over again. So what's this? I mean, we, we've, got this, we've got this tunnel vision of, of, of how we perceive reality that is completely driven by what benefits and doesn't benefit us. And so, what's the solution to wandering around with this partial insight or walking around in ignorance? We get to verse 3. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Not because you've made better plans, but because you've established them in Him. He does the establishing, not you. If we depend on God and submit our plans and goals, our desires and agendas, our ways are not just enhanced, our ways are not just made better, our ways aren't given a a rubber stamp of approval or given a better success rate, they're established, they are put in place because he has done it. Because he has done it. Let's look at James 4, 13 through 17. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there in trade and make a profit. You do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Go back to that first slide, please. Thanks. So, so look, look, what, look what happens here. <clears throat> Verse 15, what, what that doesn't say is instead you shouldn't say um, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Uh, Lord, could you just get busy willing that? because that's the way we usually go about it, right? Hey, here's, what, here's really what I want to do. Here's really how I want to see this play out. This is what seems wise to me. This is what I've come up with. Lord, could you just say that's okay? Could you just go ahead and let me, let me do what I think is best for me? Now what James says is actually, if the Lord wills, We will live and do this or that. If the Lord will, seeking what the Lord wills is the first part of the process, the first part, the first component of the formula, not the last. And so, seeking wisdom means humility and understanding that not all our plans are great and depending on Him to lead us to what is. Because, verse 4, the Lord has made everything. For its purpose, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Even the wicked for the day of trouble. And look, I'm just going to own to you, that's a hard verse to preach. Because it's difficult for us to say that we understand uh, why this, that, or the other happens or when evil occurs, finding a good explanation for it. And I'm, I, it would be irresponsible of me to tell you that I had one for everything. But what I can testify to you in, in, the, in the years that I've lived my life is that there's nothing that I've experienced in my highest of highs or my lowest of lows where I have not found the Lord faithful. And often it's in difficult seasons that his faithfulness shines forth most brightly. And, but... If that's a struggle for you, I, I would tell you that you have good company. The psalmist and the Old Testament prophets all have. We we all see them grappling with the idea of watching the unwise, or, or those who are far from the Lord, or those who are pursuing things that are not of God, succeed and prosper and benefit from those things, and everything that they everything they touch turns to gold, while everything that I touch turns to something very different. And we listen to the prophets say, how long, O oh Lord, does this go on? How long will, 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 will we watch this happen? How long will you watch this happen? And what the Lord says over and again and proves over and again is that even in these things I am faithful. Even in these things, I'm faithful. And the small small window of the flow of your life that you are currently looking at pales in comparison to all of your days laid out before me and what I'm doing in your life. So it is crucial for us that we begin seeking wisdom with asking the Lord what he wills instead of asking him to will what we will. There are things there are things that you and I will never fully understand. Calculus. Um there are certainly things that you and I will never master. Right. Uh, A- A- Adam and I went to Adam and I went to seminary together. We graduated with the same same degree, and the the name of our degree is of our degree is absolutely ridiculous. Master of Divinity. How would you ever master divinity? Right. I mean, because what, what does it mean to master something? Right. When you when you master something, it means that you you not only have a working idea of the concept of something, but you can actually take apart the uh, you can actually take apart the components of it and know what each component does and put it back together in a way that it still functions. You can do a lot of things on YouTube. <laughs> well, uh, uh, I, I've I I have. I have, I have been aided by YouTube in fixing several things around my house that are almost functional. <laughs> um, but I, mean, I, I, I jumped on there one day to take apart a small engine, and it's just going to stay that way. I mean, the, the guy on the video, I mean, he looks like he knows what he's doing. I mean, you know, he's all clickety-clack and clickety-clack, and the, to- and the you know, tools are making noise and stuff. Oh, yeah, you're making progress there. And then my, for whatever, my tools don't make that noise. I mean, they, you know, and the parts don't go back together, and it's just laying there, you know, and, and gasoline and oil are just running all over the place. And, and Okay, that's just going to stay that way forever. I, I haven't mastered it. I just watched a video on it. There are things that you and I will not fully understand because it is beyond our capacity. And if that causes you angst, let me give you the other side of that, is that if you are following a God that you can fully understand, he's not God, you are. You don't want a God that you can fully understand. You want a God that fully understands all things because he made them. So look, there's just stuff that you and I aren't going to understand. But there is nothing he doesn't fully understand. There is nothing he hasn't mastered. Even before it comes to pass, he fully understands it. Why would we not want our hopes and dreams and futures in the hands of a God that has mastered time? Because he created it. So that's where it starts. Lord, if you will. All right, so I promised you a list. So here, here, here's a process for gaining wisdom that leads you to humility and dependence and seeking him for those things. Number one, pray before you plan. Pray before you plan. And I would actually uh, suggest you not uh, pray to help me do this, but pray and ask him, is this worth doing? Is this a good thing? Am I praying for the right thing? Pray before you plan. Not after you've made them, and ask God to rubber stamp them. Number two: work hard. Work hard at the plan that follows. One of the, the best-sounding but worst pieces of advice that has come through the church and perhaps American Christianity in recent years is let go and let God. Do not let go. God does not want you to let go of anything. Cling to Him. When He gives you a plan, cling to it. Follow. Work hard. Believe in work. Hard work. Anybody? If you know, you know. As you pursue wisdom, set goals in what the Lord has shown you and follow it. And then three, submit everything to God. Submit everything to God and trust him with it. I think, I think uh, we run two different directions when we, uh, well, probably before we give things to God. I think we run, our mind runs in two different directions. There are two possibilities here. One, God gives me what I want and it's going to be easy because he's given it to me. Or two, if, I'm, if I do give God uh, the desires of my heart, he's going to mangle them all up into something else you know, that's all churchy and stuff, and I'm going to hate it. So I don't want to give it to God because God's just going to mess it up. Now, you would never say it out loud, but I bet some of you have thought it. So let me do the first one first. If you're like, God's given me the thing so it's going to be easy. If you're, if you're going into that with, with, with that mindset, the first, look, when we're following the plan of God, sooner or later we're going to get punched in the mouth. Some, something, is going to, something is going to hit us right in the mouth. And if you're not prepared for the fact that following God is difficult and it's not easy all the time, You'll let go. Submit it to him and trust him with it. But don't expect everything to be easy. You guys remember, uh, you guys remember when the, uh, the Israelites, uh, they're, uh, God, they, God's brought them out of Egypt. He's leading them to the promised land. They get to the edge of the promised land. They're looking at it. They send in 12 spies. You guys remember this story? They send in a spy from every tribe, and they come back, and and, uh, and 10 of the tribes, uh, well, no, not, all of them say, hey, it's great land. I mean, the grape's the size of your head. I mean, we're going to eat like kings. I mean, you know, everything over there is fantastic. Uh, land's flowing with milk and honey. I still don't get really the desire of that, but apparently it was pretty good. And, and so everything over there is fantastic, uh, but we can't take it because the people are huge. And uh, they will squash us like bugs. Ten of them said that. Two of them said, no, we can take it. The Lord has given it to us. We can take the land. He means for us to have it. Let's go take it. But don't, don't be mistaken into thinking that they thought that when we take that land, we're just going to walk in and they're going, go, oh, here you go. Here are the keys. We'll see you. No, they're gonna, there's going to be There's going to be conflict. They knew there would be conflict. They knew that there would be war. They knew that there would be difficult days. But they also knew that the Lord was with them. So they fought they those two said, Let's go. Let's follow. Following the Lord is not always easy. But doing life without the Lord ain't always easy either. Wouldn't you rather walk with the one that's making the plan? Wouldn't you rather, if if it's going to be difficult one way or the other, wouldn't you rather walk with the Lord and walk a journey that even when it's difficult, there's joy? Not happiness, those are not the same thing, but there's joy. Okay. Then there's the other. If I give God my plans, He's going to mess it up and make it into something I didn't want. Well, there are two possibilities there. One, He, he very well may change. He very, very well may change what you're asking for. But do you know why He does that? Because what you were asking for was dumb. It wasn't good for you. Or even in a best-case scenario, maybe it was good for you, but it wasn't great for you. It wasn't the best for you. And he wants better. You may have been heading down a destructive path you didn't even know about, and he's protecting you from it. The, and Look, just the, that's a hard point of realization to come to. That can be a difficult day. But have a difficult day and move on into joy instead of having a difficult day and dragging it on with you because you refuse to follow what is best. Submit everything to God, trust Him with it, and then, four, recognize that God is at work. Recognize that God is at work even when you don't see it. Look for it, look for how He's moving. Expect him to move and look for it. You know, don't just give it. I'm just following God and trusting. I'm just, you know, I'm just trusting. I'm just, you know. no, you're not. You're just existing. You're not paying attention. God is doing stuff. Be attentive. Be attentive. I oh, just let him have it and, you know, whatever he's going to do. He's going to do what he does. And you know, he's doing stuff already that he does and he wants you in on it. Pay attention. Be attentive recognize that god is at work in the details of your life regardless of how it's playing out right now he has something great for you you may see it right now you may not but he does be humble enough to know that you are depending on him to bring that to you because you can't go get it yourself okay that's point one i've got three how we doing um so, the purpose of wisdom is to lead you to three things. The first is humility and independence. The second <clears throat> is salvation. Verses 5 and 6. Verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. Let's go back to 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Go back to verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man. Verse 2. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes. Verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. If we allow our plans and our ways to trump the ways and truth of God in our lives... That is arrogance, and it is sin. It's the same sin we fell for in the garden. It's the same sin that we still subscribe to today, and it's killing us. If we allow our plans and ways to trump what God wants for us, that is arrogance. And he tells us clearly, everyone who is arrogant in his heart is an abomination to the Lord. In his heart, that means you can look great on the outside and look like you're trying to do all the great godly things with all the dressings, and I, I'm, I'm at church and serving here and serving there, and I'm doing great, but I am holding stuff in my heart that I'm clinging to for me, and I'm not letting him have it. So go ahead and look great on the outside, and you all do. You're lovely people. But God sees what's in your heart, don't be arrogant in your heart. It's an abomination to the Lord. But because we have all sinned, because we all fall short of the glory of God, there is an issue in us because a holy God cannot overlook and disregard the reality and enormity of our willful, rebellious sin. He can't. And if, if you are expecting him to because you think you're a good person, they, they'll... There are no good people. Do you guys know that? I mean, are you clued in? I mean, do you get that there are no good people? When I was teaching intro to theology uh, to juniors in high school, is one of the things I used to tell them all the time. Look, there, there are two things, that, well, there's two things that you can count on in life. People stink people will continue to stink until Jesus comes back. We're all broken. There are no good people. Now, based, you know, based on, our, on yours and my sliding scale of, st- of standards, I mean, we, we, we can sort of pronounce people to be gooder or less gooder based on our own value system. But according to God, his eyes wander to and fro throughout the earth looking for one good person, and they ain't there. So we found our, ourselves in a fix. A holy God cannot overlook and disregard the enormity of our sin. We've been trying to figure out what you and I have been trying to, and look, people centuries before us, I've been trying to figure out a way to barter with God and a way that we can just sort of make what we want to do and what he wants us to be coexist. And as long as people have been around, that's been happening. There is no bargain. There is righteous and there is unrighteous. That's it. And if we're going to become righteous, it's not going to be something that we do. And so we get here, everyone who is arrogant in heart, is an abomination to the Lord, be assured he will not go unpunished. That doesn't good. That's not good for us. But, thank goodness for verse 6 by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is toned for. Oh, good! All I've got to do is have steadfast love and faithfulness. I don't have either of those. This, this, this Hebrew word here for steadfast love is hesed. It's the, it's, uh, it's the word that, that God would use to, uh, uh, to speak of his love in covenantal terms. So when he made covenants with, um, with Abraham, with David, and, and then ultimately the, the new covenant through Christ— this covenantal love, the love that binds God to his promises, the love that, that, that God pledges himself to his people through, is hesed. It's a love that he will not break. It's a love that endures. It's a love that we depend on. It's a love we do not have. We cannot manufacture. We cannot generate. We do not have steadfast love, and we are not faithful people I'm not faithful to myself. I make promises to myself I don't keep all the time, mostly about cookies. (laughs) And I'm saying that as a little bit of a joke, but I got to be honest, I get really frustrated about that. I, I, I can't keep a promise about a cookie. What if I make a promise about something that actually matters? I can't generate the kind of faithfulness it's going to take to to atone for my iniquity. The wisdom in Scripture is meant to drive us to the awareness that we are desperate for salvation. Because when we look at what's in here and become wise enough to know that I need something outside of me to fix it, Wisdom tells me I need a savior. And look, if you're walking around and you've convinced yourself that you're a good enough person that you don't need a savior, can I, I just gotta be honest And I'm gonna use proverbial language. You are a fool. I almost did this sermon. I almost did, uh, I was gonna do a sermon called How Do You Know If You're a Fool? Uh, but the points of the sermon were check your heartbeat. And that's only about a 30 second sermon and so I figured I'd need one that was a little bit longer. All of our lives walking this earth, we're trying, to, we're trying to push closer to wisdom and further away from foolishness. But doggone it, foolishness doesn't just pull at us and pull at us and want us to stay there like a water park birthday party. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. The conclusion we have to come to here when we are wise is that we are desperate for someone who can accomplish this for us and Jesus does that on the cross. Only Jesus can do it, only Jesus would do it, and only Jesus has done it. There is no other name or no other life in which we find salvation. He's he's calling us to redemption. And he does that through the wisdom of the scriptures. So, I think there are three purposes for wisdom. One, to move us to humility and dependence. Two, to make us wise unto salvation, if I could borrow a phrase from Paul in 2 Timothy. And three, to teach us how to walk in obedience. Because, excuse me, when we are redeemed, that's not the end of the race. That's not the end of the story. It's the beginning. You and I have the rest of our lives, if we are in Christ, we have the rest of our lives to pursue wisdom in terms of how we walk in obedience based on what God is showing us of himself. Wisdom means to lead us to obedience. After atonement has been accomplished for our sin, our hearts has been changed, but we continue a faith journey in the work of the Holy Spirit. It's our appropriate response. Obedience is our appropriate response of gratitude, of worship, and the continued uh, pursuit of transforming wisdom. God means for us to change. God means for me to change. He means for me to look more like Christ. And that's, it's, it's a lifelong trajectory. We're not. We're not going to. We're not going to finish that this side of heaven. But in the rest of our days, by what Paul said, I continue to press on to that for which Christ Jesus has called me. This obedience is what he mentions here for the rest of of our passage today, Uh, beginning in the second half of verse 6. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns... My watch is stuck to the lector. Um, Never had that happen before. Um, By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By the fear of the Lord... One turns away from evil. So I know Adam. Adam talked to us about what this the idea of the fear of the Lord. It is this the, the, the awe inspired reverence that we have for Christ because of uh, what He has done for us, because of what the Lord has shown us about Himself, of of who He is, and all of His superlatives and because of what he has made known to us and shown to us through the person of Jesus Christ. That that, that is actually one of the reasons that Jesus put on flesh and walked among us. It wasn't only to redeem us, though it certainly was, but it was also so that we could see what the Father is like. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. He means us to walk in him and to become more like him in the fear of the Lord. Let's look, at, uh, let's look at this, uh, this James passage uh, four six through nine. <clears throat> but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, "God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble." Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. I think those are there back to back on purpose. And so, what Solomon tells us in Proverbs is that by the fear of the Lord, when we are driven, when we are compelled by the idea, by the reverence that comes to us because of what Christ has done for us, and we are we we are awed uh, by the love that He has shown us by the. Uh, the his willingness to take our wrath on himself and to impute to us a righteousness we do not deserve. When when that becomes the lens that we understand and see life through, and we can, we can, uh, we can li- we can live each day in the awareness that that is as true today as it was yesterday, and will be as true tomorrow. When that is the lens that we see through, then the fear of the Lord allows us to say to the devil, get away from me, and he will. Look, don't be, don't, be, don't be confused here. The devil doesn't flee from you because of how great a person you are. When you resist him, the devil flees from you because of how great the spirit living in you is. Because when you're redeemed, God puts his Holy Spirit in you So it is God who is resisting and Satan flees. You try to do that on your own, you're going to have different results. But it's also the Spirit dwelling in us so that when we draw near to him, he draws near to us. Wisdom is meant to lead us into obedience. And wisdom teaches us the fear of the Lord. Verse 7, when a uh, a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. When we seek to please God in our pursuit of him and, and how we're living our lives and heart, not in deed, not in deed. I mean, deed would be great too. But, I mean, let's just be honest. You can't hit a home run every time. But when your heart is bent on becoming more like him and pleasing him in everything that you do, the deeds that follow are secondary. He wants your heart. When, when, when that's true and that's in place, he will work for the good of his people in all things. He will work for the good of his people in all things. That doesn't mean that every day of your life is going to be great. It doesn't. It, mean, it means he has a plan for you, and he knows every day of your life spread out in front of him. He knows how to get you from here to there, and he's faithful to do it in a way that is for your good and for his glory. He knows how to do that. And when we seek him overall, in the grand scheme of things, even our enemies will be made to be at peace with us because the Lord is even able to work through them. So let me just give you a couple of ideas real quick. on some opportunities to help your ways look like things that are pleasing to the Lord. Uh, one, continue, in, uh, you know, continue doing things like we're doing with Proverbs. Participate in daily reading plans. Be diligent in your spiritual disciplines. If you, it, you know, here's a great commercial that I didn't even plan to make right here. But if, if you want help in that, if you want encouragement in doing those things and learning spiritual disciplines that will help you uh, shape your life in ways that are pleasing to, pleasing to God, uh, Steve Layton, who now I think is doing announcements from here on out for the rest of our, the, the life of our church, uh, Steve Layton is doing a class in Dou this fall on uh, spiritual habits and disciplines. Take a class. Work. Do the work. If that if that's what you feel like the Lord is leading you to, do it. There's a class that'll help you do it. Take advantage of it. Take a class. Um, So do that. Continue those things. Bible reading, um, uh, meditating on Scripture, prayer, ministry to others, serve. So you could could walk out of here today, go to the the table by the connections desk. There's lots of opportunities for you to sign up today to serve. Find your area, right? Do it every week. Do it once a month. Do it as a one-time thing to see if you like it. All of those are fine. You can do all those things out there. Serve. Look, I'll tell you, there's only so much good that you're going to gain from coming to church, sitting in worship, and going to a Bible study. You'll grow spiritually doing those things, and that's awesome. You will grow spiritually doing those things. Let me underscore that. You will grow spiritually doing those things. But Jesus said he came to serve, not to be served, and to give his life as a ransom for many. If you're not serving, you are hampering your ability to become like Christ. Find a place to serve. If you want your ways to look like things that are pleasing to the Lord, do things that look like the Lord. Find a place to serve. And there are lots of places to do it. And every one of you, just like me, if you are in Christ, has spiritual gifts the Spirit means to use in your life to work through you so that you not only serve, but you like it. Right? I mean, like it, it would have been totally fine if the Lord would have said, hey, look, <clears throat> you're in a mess, and um, uh, you're hopelessly lost and broken, uh, and you can do nothing about it. So here, here's what I'm going to do. I, my son, I'm going to send my son. He's going to walk around among you to show you what I'm like for three years. Then he's going to die for your sin, take, take your sin on him. I'm going to pour my wrath out on him so you just walk away in righteousness. And as, as your payment, uh, I'm going to assign you a task that you have to do for the rest of your life, whether you like it or not. We would all take that deal. Well, We would all say, yep, good, I'm in thank you but he doesn't say that what he says is i'm going to do i'm going to do all those things jesus i'm going to do all up to there but then the holy spirit is going to come into your life and give you passions and desires in the spirit that are specifically for serving and advancing the gospel so that where you serve you will love and you won't be able to get enough of it that's better Find your spiritual gift and serve. If you need help finding your spiritual gift, there's an inventory on our website. Talk to Kim Anderson at Connections. She'll help get you plugged in. Find your place to serve. Do things in your life that look like things the Lord would do. Walk in obedience. Verse 8. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. We do need to honestly consider that from a worldly perspective, the ways of man can succeed in, short term, in the short term, but we're told right here, we're told in this text, that profit is spiritual profit. Your, your value to the Lord is spiritual profit. And it's not going to be, it may not be valued by the world that it is by the Lord, but you just gotta ask yourself, who am I really trying to please here? Do I want, do, do I want to do things that please the Lord and and, and, and bring a spiritual profit for his kingdom? Or do I want to do things that please man, or actually specifically please me, and do things that benefit my own little earthly kingdom? You gotta make a choice. I can't make that choice for you. I can strongly recommend which one you should choose. But you've got to make that choice yourself. And success in God's economy looks different than success in the world's economy. But in terms of fulfillment and investment in you, your family, your neighbors, the generation that comes behind you, anything that you do for this world and in earthly gain, is gonna, it's just going to go away. It's just going to go away. And then verse 9, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his step. The purpose of wisdom, then, is not just a well-lived life or a moral set of platitudes or behavior modification that you can write down on a card and walk into your day with and try and fix yourself with waning determination, That is not what wisdom is for. Wisdom is ultimately to make us aware of our desperate need for Christ and to show us what following him looks like. Everything Proverbs teaches us is not to make a better version of ourselves. It's to pursue a different version of ourselves that's only possible through Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and we love it. Uh, even when it's, uh, even when it's difficult to understand and approach, we love it. Teach us to love it. And teach us, Lord, when we spend time in Your Word, unlock its truths for us, unlock its wisdom for us. And Holy Spirit, we we pray that You would use that to change us. So, Father, if there if there are people in, in this room this morning who, who are holding on to. Uh, to their plans, to their ways, to their agendas who are hoping to make you be less you so they can be more them I pray that you would stir them to repentance if there are people that have never accepted you as their savior, I pray that you would give them open eyes and a wisdom to see our desperate need for you and for those of us in the room that, that, that are your children already I pray that you would give them wisdom, not just to uh, choose wise words, or not just to be a good neighbor, or not just to uh, live in, uh, in lifestyle ways that are honoring to you, but to live in a way that changes the world around us and makes us more like Christ. And we know that only comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, so we want to say that we recognize that we are completely dependent on you for our salvation, for our transformation. And so, Lord, in these moments together, regardless of what else is happening in our lives right now, in the room outside, I pray that you would make us attentive to what you're doing in our lives right now, right now in this moment. I pray that you would make us attentive to what you're doing. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the gift of the scriptures. Make it alive in us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, so if you you want to come and talk about wisdom down here, I'm happy to pray with you. If you want to come kneel at the altar, you can do that. If you want to stay at your seats, that's fine. Just recognize I'm going to ask you for about two and a half, maybe three more minutes in here. And hold off whatever's on your phone, whatever you're planning for lunch, whatever else you have to do today, and be attentive right in this moment to what the Lord is calling you to do. And listen. Listen to what he has to say to you.